Good morning again, you guys. So glad we can be together today, and uh, thank you for, for joining us. As many of you know, uh, this week I'll begin a sabbatical uh, for the summer, and I uh, just want to thank the elders and all of you f- just for being so supportive of it. Uh, sabbaticals, I think, as I've thought a lot about this, um, like salvation, are entirely a gift of grace, not because of works. Uh, I haven't worked to get a sabbatical. It's a gift of grace. And so I'm thankful that Cedar Home is a place of grace. And I thank you for showing me grace. And, and as I was thinking about it, there are, there are three things that I would ask of you uh, while I'm gone. First of all, uh, please continue to attend church and continue to give financially to the church. Even though I'm not going to be here, there are still salaries and bills to pay and ministries to fund. And there's some great stuff planned for this summer. Also, secondly, uh, if you have problems uh, while I'm gone, issues that come up, please talk to our elders, our deacons, the church staff, or ministry leaders as it pertains to each one of them. Talk to uh, whoever it pertains to. And if you're not sure to who to talk to, then uh, you can always give Julia a call at the church office, and she will connect you with the right person as soon as she can. Uh, but please don't uh, save up all your problems for me <laughs> to deal with uh, when I get back. I've talked to other pastors, and... And I've heard that that can be pretty overwhelming when you first come back that, oh, we have a list of 100 problems for you to deal with. So we have very capable leaders here, and this is a great opportunity uh, for the church to function without me solving those, all those problems. Um, and then third, I would just appreciate your prayers for Cindy and me and for our kids as we continue to keep you in our prayers as well. Now on to the sermon. Um, Last week, we finished our study of the gospel according to John, and um, John was a disciple and close friend of Jesus. Uh, He did not create the gospel message of Jesus, uh, but John simply wrote down the events of the gospel of Jesus as he remembered seeing them happen and as he was led by the Holy Spirit. And the central message of John's gospel account, as well as the other gospel accounts in the New Testament, is that Jesus of Nazareth was not merely a man, but was also fully God. He was fully man, fully God. And Jesus was God's son who came from heaven to earth to live a life unlike any life ever lived by another human being, that Jesus lived a life in complete, perfect obedience to all the commands of God, okay, which we call God's law. And and even though Jesus never did anything wrong, he obviously uh, fulfilled the law perfectly, uh, humanity responded to him with hatred. And Jesus was falsely accused of crimes that he did not commit. He was flogged by the Romans, and he was condemned to a horrific death on a cross. And, and we read that after he died on the cross, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And after three days in the grave, Jesus rose from the dead, and he appeared to many different people just like he had said he would. And, and the reason that all of this, his, his death, his life, death, resurrection, is meaningful is not only because it shows that Jesus was perfectly pure, he was perfectly good, he, he, he is so divinely powerful that not even death could hold him down, that is true, but also 
it is only through this, it is only through Jesus' death and through his resurrection that you and I can be rescued from God's wrath for not being perfect like Jesus. Okay? Because there's a punishment for not being perfect like Jesus. That's called death or the wrath of God. And as he hung on that cross, Jesus became the sin of every person who would trust in him. He became all of our sins that separate us that have, uh, from God, that have offended God, that condemn us to suffer God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus suffered God's wrath on behalf of all who would trust him. And by doing so, Jesus put our sins, our offenses, our punishment for our sin to death when he died. The debt was paid that we owed to God for our sin. And when we believe that Jesus did this for us, the Bible says that God justifies us now, immediately when we believe that. Meaning that because God is our judge, he has to make a judgment about us. Are we guilty? Are we not guilty? But when we trust in Jesus, he says, I justify you, meaning I declare you not guilty now and forever. That's great news. This is the love of God for sinners. And at the same time, this is what's amazing. At the same time that Jesus hung on the cross and extracted our sin from us and absorbed it into himself, Jesus, at the same time, extracted his righteousness from himself and gave it to us. So not only did Jesus take away our guilt and our sin when he died, not only did he suffer our punishment of God's wrath on our behalf, not only did he justify us in God's sight, but also Jesus gave to us his own righteousness that has perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And so what that means is that for everybody in here and on planet Earth who who turns to Jesus, who's merciful and gracious, who, who turns to Jesus in faith, for them... God loves them and adores them and accepts them the same way that he loves and adores and accepts his son, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> All of this to say that when we, when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he unites us to himself. It's an important concept of what happens at the cross. He unites us to himself and to everything that he's earned for us through his death and resurrection. And that means that just as Jesus conquered death, just as Jesus rose from the grave, so also those of us in Christ have already conquered death and have risen with him spiritually. And our resurrection is not totally fulfilled and complete yet, the Bible says that in some supernatural way, we are already with Jesus in the heavenly realms that we can't comprehend, and that when we die, Jesus will bring our spirits home to live with him where he is in peace forever. And just as his physical body rose from the dead, so also when Jesus returns to earth someday, he will resurrect our physical bodies from the dead and unite our spirits to our bodies and thus glorify us, complete us, body and soul, completely to enjoy God for all eternity. 
This is the gospel. This is, this is the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ that is available to all of us if only we will believe it. And the Apostle John who wrote this account that we've been reading, he was an eyewitness to this. He was an eyewitness to the historical events of Jesus that made all of this possible. And in John 20, 31, John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says that God had him write these things so that you, you today might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So do you believe this? That's the question each one of us must ask about Jesus. Do we believe this? God chose uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to each write an account of Jesus' life And each of those accounts highlights different things in the life of Jesus. It's it's the same way today. When you interview people who kind of witness the same event, each person is probably going to remember something slightly different about the event because they're talking to different people. They might have been standing in different places. But when you put the accounts together, they form a complete picture of the same event. And such is the case with the testimonies of the disciples. When you put their accounts together, they all testify to the same glorious life, death, and resurrection of God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, and 2,000 years of history has not been able to erase it. One of the unique characteristics of John's gospel that is different from the other gospels is that he mentions that on numerous occasions, Jesus referred to himself as the I am. And those two words, I am, were sacred to the Jewish people, right? Jesus was a Jewish person, right? Because this, this title, I am, is what God called himself when he appeared to Moses, Thousands of years before. So to the Jews, saying the name I am was the same thing as saying God's holy name in vain. And they were much more strict about saying God's holy name than our society is. It was blasphemous and you were put to death for it. Well, during Jesus' public ministry, Jesus didn't refer to himself mainly as a teacher or as a prophet or as a God. Jesus said that he was, I am. Okay? He was the one true God who created the world, who rules over everything, and who the Jewish people and all peoples should worship. That's who Jesus said he was. In John 8, 57 to 59, when Jesus was talking to a crowd of Jewish people and their leaders, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So when Jesus referred to himself as I am, the Jews knew exactly what he was claiming to to be. He was claiming to be their God. And they tried to kill him right then and there. But it says he supernaturally hid himself and and escaped. 
You know, some people in our day and age try to argue that Jesus never claimed to be God. And that is, that is nonsense, if you know anything about the Bible, truly. Not only did Jesus claim to be God, he claimed to be I am, okay? The one true God of the Jews and of the whole world. You know, there are a lot of people today who, who, who make audacious I am statements to describe their own greatness. I am fill in the blank. I read one this week. This week, uh, MMA fighter Conor McGregor, he posted a picture of himself leaning against his brand new black uh, Rolls Royce. And underneath the picture, he wrote, I am the king of everything. And there are millions of people on earth who worship Conor McGregor like he is the king of everything. I came across a few other I am statements. If this video will work, I want to I show you a few others. I am the greatest. Me and, me and Jesus are cool. <laughs> I'm cool with all the gods. Gods recognize gods. Nah. nah I feel confident because I'm the best player in the world. That's simple. Um, I wouldn't really want to say, you know, the best pound for pound fighter in the world because, you know, I'm no longer active. You know, I would like to say, you know, the best ever. You know, it's not being cocky or arrogant. It's just uh, the proof is in the pudding, and I've, I think I've, I've earned the right, you know, to call myself TBE. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. There's never any doubts in my mind because I'm the best in the world, even though a lot of you don't like to hear it. I just, it's facts. I'm the best. You know what I mean? I sometimes, I don't want to believe in myself, but it's the truth. I'm the best. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to believe, you're, you know, to tell yourself you're the best. It's hard to, to believe that, I'm sure. Um, you know, whenever human beings declare, I am the greatest, their greatness is temporary at best. If they have accomplished a great human feat, then they will be esteemed, maybe for a little while, but only a generation after they're gone, most people will likely see their name and ask, who is that? Seriously, how many elementary schools are kids like, who who is that? I don't know, right? But Jesus is in a category of his own, okay? That's why he's called holy. It means, it's basically a word that means we don't have any, this is the best word we can describe him because our vocabulary is limited. It means that he is so totally different from any person or anything that we've ever known or could possibly imagine. And and Jesus' greatness is not merely a human greatness. Jesus is the greatness in the physical human world, but he's also the greatest in the spiritual world and in the known and unknown universe. And Jesus' greatness is not temporary. He, he is eternal. He is everlasting. And when Jesus declared that he was I am, he wasn't doing it out of a need for human praise at all. He did it for us. He was doing it to reveal his glory to the creation that he made so that we might find eternal satisfaction in glorifying the one person we were created to enjoy most. He did it for us. 
If he weren't really God, then it would obviously be a false and a uh, egotistical thing to say. But if he is God, then it couldn't be a more accurate statement. And it's only to benefit us. As we see in John's gospel, sometimes Jesus referred to himself just as I am. And at other times, Jesus added a phrase to describe himself further. For instance, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he was declaring that as God, he is the good shepherd of his people. So Jesus uses I am statements to describe what he alone is for his people. Hear that again. Jesus uses I am statements to describe what he alone is for his people. So now what I want to do is I want to look at the seven main I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. Because we need to recognize Jesus for who he is. We want to remember this. It's kind of a nice way to, to summarize what we've been in the past few years And we want to celebrate this for what it means about who God is and what that means for us. So before we dive in and do that, let's let's ask God to continue to help us. Lord Jesus, um, please help us now as we open up your word. Um, We thank you for just letting us be here today. And it's our desire to join Moses as we proclaim the name of the Lord, as we proclaim your name, as we ascribe greatness to our God. We join David in declaring that yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Dear Lord, you are, I am. There is no other. And we thank you for showing this to us. Thank you for revealing this to us throughout history and through your word. We just ask that you would help us surrender to you and to your greatness today. To do that with joy because you love us. Pray that you would open the eyes of those who don't believe in you, Lord, so that they can have life and peace with you today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would protect us from Satan now. We know that you are greater than him. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what we'll do is we're just going to briefly, quickly, um, go through John's gospel in order, in sequence, to look at these main I am statements. You can follow along in your Bible, but we'll put them on the screen as well. And, and again, we want to see how these statements reveal that Jesus alone is for us everything that we'll truly ever need. His I am statements aren't just a declaration of who he is, but it's a declaration of who he is for us. Okay? So first, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Remember, after miraculously feeding this crowd of 5,000 men and their families using only five loaves of bread and and two fish, Jesus went on to teach his disciples that physical bread is actually not our greatest need in life. In John 6, 47 to 51, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is the bread that came down from heaven. He says, if, if you do not want to die in eternity, then you must eat Jesus. Okay? And by dying in eternity, we don't mean to stop existing in eternity. All of us will exist consciously in eternity. Whatever you believe about everything. You were made in God's image, and part of being made in God's image is that you have a physical body and you have a spirit that will exist forever. To die in eternity means to experience a death that never dies. Okay? So to die in eternity means to be separated every day, forever, from God, who is the one person who can actually satisfy you, who can actually nourish you and feed your soul whenever you're hungry. So you will be hungry forever, and you will not be nourished. We all get physically and spiritually hungry. That's how God designed us, and we were designed to eat Jesus. And Jesus, he says, he is the bread of life. And to eat him means to take him into ourselves by trusting him and his word, okay? It's called faith. If anyone eats of Jesus through faith, then that person will live forever. You don't eat Jesus by trying to be a really good person, by trying to mark up all your spiritual accomplishments. That's not how you eat Jesus. You eat Jesus by trusting him and taking him in through faith. And he says that this bread that he is, that he gives to us, is his flesh, okay? so. It is his perfect life, his death, his resurrection that he gives to us. This is what gives us life and what saves us. This is what you must receive spiritually in order to have spiritual life and nourishment now on earth and forever and eternity. So again, the question then for you and me is, so what am I feeding my spirit every day to satisfy me and to give me life? It's easy, right? We can look maybe at our food and think about what we eat physically, but spiritually, what am I eating to satisfy me and to give me life? And then the second question is, have you taken in Jesus through faith, and is your spirit being satisfied as you look to him for daily nourishment? Second, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's not fun walking in darkness, is it? It's scary. Um, people of all faiths agree that we live in a very dark world that appears to be getting darker. 
And I know people my age who have decided not to have children because they don't want their kids to experience the darkness in our world and what it's going to be like 10 or 15 years from now, even darker. And the darkness of this world is not just media hype. In fact, the media can actually only report a fraction of the human events of darkness in our world. Terrorist attacks and genocides and murders and tragedies and famines and diseases and abuse and addictions and so much more. And, and you don't have to even read the headlines to know how dark our world is. You just, you just need to stick around for a little while, right? Um, I've had the privilege of, of going on a few ride-alongs with a few of the policemen in our church. It's pretty fun, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but at the end of the day with them, I always come away saying, our world is so lost. <laughs> People are so in the darkness and so without hope. People are so broken. And even our best efforts at fixing it with human institutions cannot fix it. And it won't fix it. Our human institutions will never be able to fix the brokenness in our world. Doesn't mean we don't try, but that's just reality until Jesus comes back. And that is why we all need Jesus, okay? Because he is the light. He's the light in the darkness. What other hope is there? Think about that. That somehow I can escape the suffering in this world and the suffering in eternity on my own? Somehow I'm just gonna get out of it? That, that somehow if I just keep taking another drink or keep taking another hit, Somehow that's going to give me a high that this time is going to last forever? Or, or am I going to fool myself into thinking that I have just done a really admirable job at changing my life and getting my life in order to live a praiseworthy life, and so God must approve of me now. I must be really acceptable because of what I've done for him. Or, or to fool myself that somehow my, my own efforts have brought me into the same realm of holiness that God is in, who is so categorically different than us that we don't even have the word to describe how set apart he is from us. Our hope cannot be in anything made by people, period. Whether that's activities or hobbies or cars or trucks or boats or buildings or religions or good works, some of those things are good, but they can't on their own lead us out of the darkness. They will only leave us wanting more. The only way out of the darkness of our purposelessness, of feeling lost, of feeling empty, of feeling hopeless, is Jesus Christ. That's it. He is the one to whom we must go. And he tells us how to get to him through faith in him alone because of his grace and not because of our works. Jesus, as the light, shows us how things really are. He shows us how temporary this world is. He shows us how great his love is for us. So if you want to leave the spiritual darkness, if you do not want to remain in the darkness for the entirety of your eternal significance or existence after this life, then Jesus says, turn to me now and trust in me and I will be the light for you. Those are the instructions. Third, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. 
So we, uh, we read in uh, John 10, 7 to 9, remember? So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the sheep pen is where this sheep must come for protection and to be accounted for. And Jesus says that he is the door into that pen. If you want into the pen, if you want protection, if you want to be known as part of his flock, then you must first enter the pen through the door, through the one door. And Jesus says, I am the door. Okay? He doesn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door, the door. If anyone enters by Jesus, he will be saved. That's what he says. And, and so many people in our world are looking for the door that will bring them true purpose, true meaning in life. And the act of, of looking for purpose and meaning is, is not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. But the fact is that there are a lot of doors that are false doors. They're fake they promise to bring us happiness. They promise to bring fulfillment, but they don't. The false doors of entertainment and wealth and man-made religions, like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and animism and Mormonism and atheism, things that we see in our world, like in other parts of the world, classism, sexism, transgenderism, racism, Pharisaism, capitalism, socialism, communism, athleticism, scholasticism, every other human ideology and religion, they are not the door to the true sheep pen. Jesus is the door. Okay? That's where the satisfaction is. That's where the safety is. That's where being part of God's flock is. And he invites you to enter through him by trusting that he is the only door who can bring you to God. And through Jesus, this is what he says, you will go in and out of the pen, you will find pasture, and you will find true rest, and you will find life, but only through Jesus. Fourth, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John 10, 11 to 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So as our creator and savior God, Jesus is, thankfully, our shepherd. And he is a good shepherd. And the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd. Jesus is the overseer of our lives, of our souls. And we can rejoice, because he's good. That's what he says. And so if you belong to Jesus through faith, then what this means is Jesus knows you better than you know you. 
He, he knows you better than you can possibly imagine. The Bible says this, that he actually foreknew you before he even created your body and spirit. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know. I'm not God, though. He knew you as his own. Jesus is the good shepherd who loves his sheep, his people, so much that it says he, he says here, he laid down his life for us to save ours. Well, what a shepherd. He was torn to pieces by the wolves in order to keep us safe, in order to give us eternal life. Who else has done that for you? What other God has done that for you? And how do you plan to protect yourself now? How do you, how do you plan to protect yourself in eternity against the spiritual wolves of hell that the Bible calls Satan and his demons? Do you, do you think you can fight them off yourselves? We do not have a chance against them on our own. Only the good shepherd can rescue us from them. That's what he's saying. I am the good shepherd. I will rescue you. And I've done what is necessary to rescue you. And it's only because he laid down his life for us that we can know this great shepherd. The blood of our good shepherd washed away the sin that had banned us from God's presence. But now Jesus, our great shepherd, has ushered us into the most holy place of God by his own blood where we can know God and be fully known by God. Just as the father knows his son and the son knows his father. That's, I don't know a greater, there isn't a greater level of intimacy than that. <laughs> the father and the son and the son and the father, that's the level, the, the, the relationship that Jesus has brought us into with God himself. And this is not only a reality for you after death, right? This is a reality for you right now if you belong to Christ. You can call on the name of Jesus and rest in his presence right now. This is why he tells us to read the promises of his word because he purchased us these promises with his own blood. And, and he applied them to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're ours. Read the promises and be encouraged if you are in Christ. And the fifth I am statement that Jesus made was, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember how, how grieved and distraught Mar Martha and Mary were when, when their brother Lazarus died. And Jesus showed up too late. Lazarus had been buried in the tomb for four days. But according to John 11, 25 to 27, as, as Jesus was talking to Mary, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And then Jesus went outside of Lazarus' tomb and with a loud voice said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb with his hands and feet bound by linen strips. His face was still wrapped with the burial cloth. Wow. And, and th Lazarus was one of several people that Jesus did this for. He raised several people back from the dead during his public ministry. Who has power over life and death except God? And get this, Jesus proves 
that by only using his words, he has the power to bring the dead back to life. Wow. And obviously this foreshadowed what he would do for himself. With, with uh, divine power, Jesus raised himself up, back from the dead, after he had just been hor- horrifically flogged and crucified and speared in the side. Jesus did for himself what none of our greatest medical doctors or hospitals can do, the miracle of resurrection. I don't, I don't care who says they're the greatest, until you resurrect, your, resurrect yourself back from the dead, you're not even in the conversation of being the greatest, okay? And since Jesus alone has done this, then Jesus alone is the greatest. And if Jesus can do this for himself and for the people in the New Testament, then he can certainly do this for you and for me. When we trust in him for eternal life, our old selves are united to Jesus, killed on the cross with him, buried in the ground with him, and raised to new life with him. And and this is why the ordinance of baptism is so significant for Christians. Because the physical motions of baptism represent what Jesus has done for us. As, As we go under the water, we see that Jesus put our old selves to death. He washed away our sins. And as we rise up out of the water, we remember that Jesus has resurrected us to new life, united with him. Resurrection, uh, baptism is an awesome picture of the resurrection. And then after Jesus does this, after he puts our old selves to death, after he raises us, what is the new life that we then live? According to this passage, our life is Jesus now. Our life is Jesus. That's why he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Our new lives in Christ are hidden spiritually in him as we fellowship with him in the visible world, as we constantly seek to walk in step with him and and with his spirit. Wow. Sixth, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember while eating his last supper with his disciples, he he said in John 14, 1 to 6, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, God the Father. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how can you get to the heavenly mansion of God How can you be sure that when you get there, you will find a room prepared by Jesus, especially for you, by believing in Jesus. (laughs) By believing that Jesus truly is the way and the truth and the life. By believing that nobody comes to God, the Father, except through Jesus. And, And as Christians who live in a society, our society uniquely, it's not this way around the world necessarily, but our society uniquely promotes 
relative truth instead of absolute truth, meaning you can make your own truth. It's, it's what you want it to be. But as Christians who, who live in this society, we've got to focus especially here on the definite articles in John 14, 6. This is the geeky English side of me, okay? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He does not use the indefinite article, a. He does not say, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a life. So don't believe the postmodern nonsense you hear about truth being whatever you want it to be, whatever you feel it to be. Truth is truth, whether we like it or not. Now, as, as Christians, we must be careful to love so many of our neighbors who publicly disagree with this, with us on this point, or at least they think they disagree with us. But we don't need to be quiet about our devotion to God's word and to our faith in Jesus as absolute truth. However, when we gauge, engage in discussions, we must do that with kindness and be as winsome as possible as we share the truth of God's word with love, with love. And ask the Holy Spirit to work. <laughs> These are spiritually discerned things, is what the Apostle Paul says. But at the end of the day, Jesus says to this foolish world that wants to believe nothing and everything at the same time, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the way to God. He is the way to the holiness of God. He is the truth. He does not merely align with what is true. He is the definition of truth itself. His word, he says, is truth. He is eternal life. To know Jesus is to live. That's what he says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you. That they may know you. And so we put our faith in Jesus as the way and the truth and the life, and we thank him for showing us this. Thank you for revealing this truth to us through his flesh and through his word. And seventh, Jesus said, I am the true vine. In John 15, one to six, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus says that he is the true vine that gives spiritual life. He doesn't just say, I'm the vine. He says, I'm the true vine, right? They give spiritual life and nutrition in spiritual fruit he produces. And, and we are like the branches, he says. Either we will be connected to the true vine, we will abide in him to receive this spiritual life and nutrition and the power to produce spiritual fruit, 
or we will remain apart from him. And I don't know if any of you have been pruning trees or bushes lately or the past few months, but you probably know what happens when you cut off a branch from the vine and throw it to the side. It withers up and it dies. And that's because without the life-giving power of the vine, the branch can do nothing. And the same is true for all of us on planet Earth. If we do not humble ourselves and become connected to Jesus Christ through faith, we will shrivel up and die. We can do nothing without the true vine. But the lie of Satan is that you can do everything you want to do. You can do it all without Jesus and that you won't spiritually suffer or die. You can get a job, you can get paid well, you can keep all your money for yourself, you can possibly get married, maybe have kids, you can get all sorts of properties and wealth and comfort and health care, and then you'll have everything you'll ever wanted and you did it all without God. But that's ridiculous. The only reason anyone of any religious background gets a good job, has money in the bank, has food on the table, and a roof over their heads is because Jesus gave it to them. You and I can do nothing without Jesus. And if you don't connect to Jesus, the true vine through faith, then you might gain the whole world, but you will lose your soul. You will not have the one thing you've actually been searching for the whole time. The one thing that you've been looking to satisfy the longings of your heart, which is Jesus Christ. We receive the eternal life of this vine when we decide to turn from ourselves, turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus instead. And the way that we stay strong in the vine, the way that we keep being nourished and grow spiritual fruit is by abiding in the true vine, by living there, by abiding in Jesus. And that means that we make Jesus our home base. I don't know how else to put it. We make Jesus our home base in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. We abide in the truth of the word. We abide in, he says, abide in my love. We abide in Jesus and in his gospel. And we don't depart from him. We don't progress to deeper spiritual truths. Oh, cool, I got into the kingdom. Now I need to go find all the other stuff. No. We don't depart from him. We stick with Jesus. We stick with his word. We keep our eyes on him as our only God, our only savior, our only hope, and the only grounds for our eternal salvation and righteousness and life with God. We stick with Jesus. Many false vines claim to give us spiritual life, but only Jesus is the true vine who really does. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And Jesus is the I am. He's the great I am. His name alone is worthy to receive worship and praise from our lips to whom we give all of our lives and all that we have. May we celebrate that today and may we celebrate what he's done for us and that he is everything we all ever need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, <clears throat> for this truth. You are the I am. And you have come to earth to rescue us. You have finished it. 
You lived the perfect life. You paid our debt on the cross. You rose again and you've united us to yourself through faith and declared us not guilty but adored and loved by God forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Um, this gospel is, is exclusive in the sense that you're the only door. No one comes to the Father except through you. But the gospel is inclusive in that it is open to the entire world. And so we pray, God, for our children, our family, our neighbors, our city, our country, and our world, that they would come to know the life and friendship and joy and peace of God. Our world needs you. We need you. Help us, Lord, to point each other to you. Help us not to stray from your word. When we are empty, please fill us. Please work in ways that we can't even comprehend, God. Thank you for your grace. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.